Hello. Now, wouldn't it be great if you could learn the key mistakes that many make in their interior design choices so that you can completely avoid them in your project? Well, I've got great news because in this episode, Francis Cosway of White Pebble Interiors and I talk about the many mistakes that we see homeowners make and how seriously they can impact your project. So let's dive in. Welcome to Get It Right with the Undercover Architect. This is the podcast all about designing, building or renovating your home. I'm your host, Amelia Lee. Think of me as your secret ally. I am on a mission to help you create a home that makes your life better, whoever you're working with and whatever your dreams, your location or your budget. Together we'll uncover the nitty gritty of how to get it right and how to create a home that works, feels great and that you feel great in. So join me now. Now, before we dive into the interview, if you're listening because you want to get it right in your home's interior design, well, let me take a moment to tell you about the online program, Interior Design 101. If you're like most homeowners I know, dreaming, planning and choosing the interior design, finishes and items in your home, it's one of the fantastic and exciting highlights of any renovation or new build project. And yet it can also be a minefield of options, confusion and overwhelm. Would you like to simplify those choices and have total clarity and confidence that your interior design will help you create your beautiful, functional, feel-good home? Well, that's exactly why Interior Design 101 was created. Interior Design 101 is a self-study DIY program. It contains the full version of all the interviews that are included in the podcast season. I couldn't put all of the questions into the podcast, so we've got the full interviews in both audio and video format, plus extra content that's been specifically created for Interior Design 101. There's full transcripts of all of our interviews. There's also extra checklists, guides, design layouts, and so much good stuff to support you in the interior design of your renovation new home or smaller project. This program has been designed to help you gain clarity and confidence in all those selections and decisions that you need to make for the finishes, fixtures, colors, materials and items that you'll be living with every day. So if you'd like to learn more about Interior Design 101, then head to www.interiordesign101.com.au and that's the numbers, the numerals 101. So Interior Design 101.com.au and I'll pop that link in the show notes as well. Now let's get on with our episode. Look, I'm a big believer in learning from the mistakes of those who have traveled a pathway before you and uh, in any endeavor really, and especially in renovating and building, this can certainly apply. When you can hear and see the mistakes that others have made, it can seriously help you know how to avoid doing the same thing in your project. Francis and I, with our years of experience, we see homeowners regularly make some common mistakes when it comes to their interior design. This can be related to who they choose, how they go about their design and their selections, decisions they make about the specific elements of their interior design, things that they completely forget to consider in the design phase that then get stuffed up during construction, right through to missed opportunities and expensive errors. So it made sense for us to talk about the ones that we feel that are not only the most regularly made, but also have the most significant impact in diminishing the feel and the functionality of your home. Listen carefully so that you can learn how to avoid these mistakes for your project and hopefully save yourself money, stress and drama, not only in the process of your interior design, but in the result that you create in your finished home. I hope you enjoy this episode. 
Well, Francis, we're going to finish off this amazing season of the podcast uh, with talking about the mistakes. There are so many mistakes you and I have both seen people make when it comes to the interior design of their home. And again, this is one that we could probably talk about a lot and share a lot of personal anecdotes of uh, where we've seen homeowners get tripped up or not get the results they were seeking for their projects. Uh, We're going to go with sort of the high level ones and really help homeowners understand how are they going to avoid this in their projects so that they can, I suppose, know where to really invest their energy and attention and budget in order to get, you know, that, that beautiful result that they're really seeking. So I, you know, I think that, uh, this is going to be really, really great to be able to put homeowners on the right track and also just kind of flip some of those mindsets about, okay, this is what my project journey needs to look like and you know, how things need to work. The first one obviously is just not using an interior designer. This is a big mistake that I say homeowners make. They try and take it on themselves. They just completely underestimate all the choices that they're going to have to make and how overwhelming that's going to be. What do you see, how do you see this play out for homeowners overall? Uh, I think that uh, the key thing that you've mentioned is it's not actually turned out quite how they anticipated it was going to turn out and they choose things and I was at someone's house last week and they said we really should have got someone involved but they thought they could all do it themselves and really they're quite disappointed with the result. So I suppose it's really understanding what an interior designer can bring to the whole equation and that it's not going to be an expense that is exactly that and there's not going to be a really good return for that. What I find is um, it's looking at how everything's going to come together um, and that it's not only going to look all good together, um, that you're using the right materials, that you're getting functionality out of the materials that you're choosing, that they are, uh, I suppose, as they say, on the team they're going to. The other thing um, that I pride myself on the fact is being independent that you're not going into a sales store uh, where someone's trying to really sell you their particular product. An interior designer is going to give you impartial information, or they should be, um, around what choices you're making because um, it's really about the functionality, the durability, the flexibility, and all these choices coming together. It's not just about the aesthetics. Yeah, I think that's great advice. And I think that an interior designer is party to so much kind of insider industry knowledge particularly an experienced one connected in with other colleagues with project experience not from their not only from their own business but from you know other colleagues businesses as well you know it's it's worthwhile understanding interior you know any industry professional that is is good at what they do and is experienced will be well connected with other industry professionals and will be tapping into kind of their learnings on their own projects and sharing kind of insights and ideas and i i've seen interior designers do this probably the best out of any kind of part of the industry um you guys are really good at kind of keeping each other informed of what you're finding is good and useful and what's not working and and uh and how to really help clients understand what's going to be right for their project so and when you bring an interior design on board you just get to tap into all of that and like you say it's from an impartial point of view where they're not standing in a showroom trying to pitch a specific product and convince you of it but they're actually helping you weigh up the pros and cons and why it might be worth saving money here to be able to invest money here and really get that result. And I think, you know, a lot of homeowners probably worry that they're going to lose control and not really they're going to get talked into selections that they might not want to use or talked into spending more money than they want to or than an interior designer. I mean, this is the same thing with architects. I think they have a particular vision that it's not their, you know, it's not the homeowner's home, but it's the interior designers or the architect's project and and business card and, you know, vision and that's what sort of steamrolls 
the process for them. And it's, but it's, you know, at the end of the day, this is about you finding the right fit and getting the right designer who actually sees it as a privilege and a, and a responsibility to work with you to be able to facilitate what is you, what is it that you want, what is it that you need and what's going to best deliver mm. that result for you in your home. And, and I think on that point, that's why I think it's really important to speak to a couple and speak to other people uh, who have used an interior designer, were they happy or were they not? And look, there are definitely, as with architects as well, there's definitely interior designers with big egos and it is all about them. It's all about them getting their work in a, a magazine and doing this and doing that and, and really they can railroad the client. And that's why I think you need to make sure that you've got an affinity with the person that you uh, engage that you feel like they get you and just having a few meetings with them, you can really understand the sort of person they are and the sort of things that they're saying to you um, and, and, and really understanding the sorts of things that you need out of your home. And look, a really good interior designer is also going to be able to advise um, where to spend and where not to spend. And that's really critical. So rather than it being looked at as a cost, it's actually mitigating mistakes and making sure that the end results right, I think is really important. And I know clients have said to me, we would have made so many mistakes if you weren't on board. So there's that. And how do you put a price on that? Because some of the things can't even be retrofitted. But secondly, it's, um, you know, working out where to spend and where to save. And again, there are interior designers and unfortunately they give some a bad reputation in the industry that are only going to go high end. They're only going to specify really expensive things. And so people get scared. But again, talk to your interior designer or who, who you've got as a short list and you'll know it's that gut feeling of, yeah, this person, they're going to work with me rather than taking control and, and it being, them being their project. We're going to be working on this as a team and that's how it should feel. And it's really that that opportunity, you know, you spoke about being having someone in your corner in an earlier episode of really being the translator between, you know, you as a homeowner and your vision and your ideas for your home. And then the person that understands all the lingo, understands all the terminology, understands how to speak to tradespeople, understands how to tell the tiler, no, you're being difficult. You can actually do this. This is doable. This is possible. This is what needs to happen. And, you know, it's that thing of, of, of really having somebody who has your back and then also but also holds you to account, you know, says to you, look, you're saying that you want this, but then you're choosing this. In my experience, it's not going to actually deliver it. How about we look at this instead? And and that's exactly what I do. I'll refer back to the brief and go, look, your brief said this, so are you moving away from that now or are we just getting distracted by what people may have seen as a trend or whatever? So I do bring people back and I suppose that's my style. I'm very upfront and honest. Um, but I do call myself the bad cop and I'll say I can be bad cop for you because I'm representing you and I will go to the builder and say, no, this is not good enough or hang on, we need to pick this up or whatever. And I will be able to speak their jargon for you, but I don't mind being bad cop. Um, it's sort of part of what my job needs to be really to be able to get what's right for my client. And it, and it also means you've got someone else as your sounding board and I think that's another area where if people are feeling that they're worried about losing control, there are ways to engage an interior designer where you might want to go to all these stores and find things but you just want to know at the end that all of that coming together is going to work. So you might actually just have a relationship with your interior designer where, where the interior designer is a sounding board for you. And I do that with some of my clients who love going out doing all the exploration um, and I'll send them off to all the spots that they can go looking, but they just want that 
sanity check that it is all going to come together okay and I'm their sounding board I'm just their piece of guidance but um, there's so many different ways that you can engage and because it's an unregulated industry interior designers can work in so many different ways so you just need to explore how it's going to work best for you and the different ways that they work yeah and have that conversation early obviously so that's exactly right yeah now, another big mistake is obviously not drawing or scheduling the interior design choices. We've spoken quite a bit about how you make sure you have on the drawings, you know, to be confirmed on site, the importance of doing tile set outs, of positioning all of your fixtures on drawings, having elevations of your, you know, your joinery and your bathroom areas so that you can really demonstrate at a larger scale exactly how things are going to need to be and you can be making that decision at a drawing stage. How do you see this mistake? I mean, you and I could... The thing is that you can build a home from five from five drawings as much as you can build it from five hundred, and and I see homeowners time and time again getting so fraught with frustration and sadness because it just hasn't turned out how they thought it would, or they didn't even realise that they had the choice, you know, because it was never explained to them that they actually could decide on X, Y, and Z if they decided early enough. So, how how do you see this play out for people who might not invest in the drawings, might not think about making all those selections before they bring their builder on board? How you know what's your experience with this? So, if I'm working with someone that has not engaged the working drawing component with their architect, it's pretty much you need to get it done because. You're just opening yourself up to just mistake after mistake and after mistake. You can't get um, really good quotes when you go out to tender. What What is the builder actually quoting on? Because it's not really detailed in the drawings. All they've got is an aerial view. You can't see how, you can't visualise how things are going to go. And look, let's face it, it's not everyone is a visual person. So it's just mitigating risk every step of the way and having those drawings is exactly that it's mitigating risk you know what you're going to get but it's also and this is where I become bad cop what is on the drawings is what you should be getting and if the builder goes oh well you know they've sort of taken a shortcut it's over well hang on it's on the drawing so off you go this is what we're doing because it's on the drawing Uh, they make a vanity that's 100 mil less than what it should be it's on the drawing so they need to do it like that that's part of the contract so I think there's several reasons you need these working drawings and that's the internal elevations, your joinery drawings and so forth. One, you get a proper quote uh, process, you get a fixed price quote or you're more likely to get a fixed price quote. Uh, you've got something to negotiate and work with your builder on with the, and you know what you're getting, you know what you should be delivered um, and you're mitigating risk the whole way. So it's very rare. In fact, I'm just trying to think of because I will always – be able to talk to a client about why they need these drawings. So I don't think I've worked with anyone that hasn't got them. And I, just last week he goes, oh, we don't really need them. And I explained him why. He goes, oh, no, we do need them. Because as you said, they didn't actually realise what was in those drawings. Yeah, and I think this is the thing is that it, it is once people sort of understand the power that they have then if the drawings are done to be able to control and manage things on site. This is the thing, if it's not drawn, if it's not described anywhere, somebody needs to make a decision and it will be whoever's on site making it and they they've got no obligation to call you. They've got, you know, they are delivering a finished product. They're not delivering a bathroom that has a vanity set out a particular position from the wall because you didn't describe it anywhere. You didn't draw it that way anywhere. So it's, it's that thing of just really understanding that if you want to have a say in it, don't expect that you're going to get a call from site to ask, okay, how do you want this laid out? Expect that somebody will make a decision on your behalf because you haven't told them where you want it. They're effectively building blind. 
there's nothing there. So if you really want to spend all that money on a house and let them build blind, I I, it, I just can't, yeah. I, I really would, would walk away from people that are not prepared to, to do that. And it's not that much more because it's an investment in getting your house right. Yeah, and getting to make all those, you know, those choices while you're not under the pump, you're not being stressed. Things like too, we didn't really touch on it in the bathrooms, but, you know, your vanity selection for your bathroom. So many people want a floating vanity these days. They want a vanity that's off the floor. And if you haven't drawn that anywhere and you haven't, it hasn't been scheduled anywhere, it hasn't been described anywhere, then chances are the builder is just going to build assuming that you're having a floor mounted vanity. And so the framing will be different. The plumbing will be different. And if, if you haven't stipulated anywhere, what will happen is generally what happens for homeowners is they, they start to see the house getting lined and they go, oh, actually, I should talk to the builder about the fact that I wanted a floating vanity. And it's like, well, there's lining on the walls. There's no framing in the walls to take uh, floating vanity. The plumbing is exposed. It's not in the wall. So I'm sorry, you're going to be having a floor mounted vanity with a kick plate around it. And, you know, I see that happen in so many instances right across a house in so many different sort of you know manifestations of little choices that then fundamentally impact how disappointed a homeowner is with their oh. finished home and imagine that's your forever home same with niches shower niches they're at frame stage most people don't realize that that's got to be framed out before the plaster goes on um so if that's not on the plan forget it yeah you have to have working drawings that that's it basically yeah. And it's the way that, you, like you say, the quoting process, it's the way that you'll actually be able to get a quote for your project that reflects what you really want to do. So most of the time what would happen is if there wasn't drawings, of, if the kitchen was just drawn on a plan at 1 to 100, the builder will just put an estimate based on the rough size of it and projects that they've done before. They might have a chat with you about what kind of finishes you want, but generally they'll just assume it. They'll describe it in their quote. They'll send that to you. You as a homeowner don't know whether $6,000 is going to buy the kitchen that you want or whether it needs to be $30,000 like you you know or $60,000 like at the end of the day if you don't have anybody advising you of that uh, and have that expertise to help you that's independent of the builder then you're not going to be able to make that decision in an informed way you'll go ahead the builder will get to the point of needing to order the cabinetry and they'll say can you go and meet with my joiner and have a chat to them about the design of the kitchen you'll design the kitchen with the joiner how you always had it pictured in your mind and it ends up being three times the cost that's in the contract because he would have quoted for cupboards and no drawers yeah so it's, and a part of other different things <laughs> so yeah essential drawings okay well, i mean you and i are sounding like broken records hopefully everybody's getting the point of and you know you've got to you got to position all of your powerpoints, all of your lighting, all of the switching. So where, what lighting, what lighting fixtures go to which switches? Do you want two-way switching? Um, do you want dimmers? You know, all of these things, the tile set out, the position of all your hardware, everything like that. If you want a wall tap or you want a, ba a basin tap, those things all need to be explained in drawings. That's the best way to manage your risk. I mean, even like your two-way switches, it's funny because I'll actually go with clients and walk through the house and go, okay, so if we're realistic we're walking to the house so when are we going to turn on the light now when are we going to want to turn off that light and what about when we go upstairs and all it's actually a walkthrough with my clients to say where do we need these switches and do we need them two-way and where don't we where do we need sensors blah 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 the detail to get it right to function is just you, you just don't realize it until you work with someone like that to understand just how much is involved to get it right yeah, well, that's the thing that, you know, a professional's bringing you their experience from all these other projects that they've done that are like yours, that they've then seen built 
and seen homeowners living in, in particular a professional that's been in the industry for some time, and they've heard the complaints and they've heard the success stories and they've seen the wins and they've potentially done their own projects as well. Like you've lived in, you're living in your home going, well, this is what I would do differently next time. This is what's worked really well now. This is what can inform my client stuff. This is what I can avoid in my client's projects. And so there's this kind of like, like bank of knowledge that you can just get to tap into that you just you just don't have a hope of doing when you're a homeowner trying to navigate it on online forums and in showrooms and that kind of stuff so it is it's just this um and and that thing of like what does everyday life look like what are all the different kind of points of the day how does the house need to function at different points of the day for different numbers of people for different times of your life for different times of the year you know all those kinds and it is I find like you're talking about, you're modeling the living process on a day-to-day, hour-to-hour, year-to-year, you know, season-to-season basis and anticipating how somebody's going to live in that house across all of those times because that's what you're trying to do as a designer that a homeowner just, I suppose, doesn't have the capacity to do if they've not done it before at that experience stage. So now another big mistake I see homeowners make is that they actually expect that their builder or their tradespeople will fulfill this design expertise on their projects. So for example, they're getting their electrician to work with them to pick out all the light fittings and advise on all the lighting layout and advise on all the switching and the PowerPoints and everything like that. Now, some electricians are awesome. Some electricians are amazing and they can provide a lot of expertise in that basis, but they're not ultimately like trained in design. So it's not, you know, and, and they're also working for the builder. So it's, you know, at the end of the day, they've got, they've provided a quote about what they're going to do. That's what's gone into the contract. They know if they start advising you to spend more money than that, they have to convince the builder to charge you a variation. You have to agree to that variation. There's going to be a whole heap of paperwork that has to happen. And that all has to happen before they get to do that work. And they're, you know, they're being paid a fixed rate at a fixed number of hours and to walk around on site and make a bunch of design decisions with you that they're not being paid for is not necessarily going to be what hap- what happens. So I think, you know, they, that's the same with the tiler. There's so many of these, you know, the painter, I've seen people get the painter to help them on selecting their paint colors. Like there's all these areas, these tradespeople who do have a huge wealth of expertise, but they don't, it's not part of their scope of works to be advising you on the design. So how do you see this play out for people? Do you see this kind of, like I, you're shaking your head. <laughs> I, expect, I, I expect this is disaster. very familiar that, that you've seen people do this as well. Yeah. Or they're relying on the builder to just make all of the best decisions for them on site, uh, particularly when they don't have plans or proper, you know, working drawings or whatever. And they're not designers. And, you know, your example with the electrician, uh, if you're going to leave it up to the electrician, he's just going to do downlights because that's plug and play. That is the fastest, most economical way for in- for him to install. He's not interested in installing other sorts of lights. Oh, and I'm b- being generalised here, of course, because there are some amazing trades out there. But they're going to go for the easy option in in how they're going to get the best um, bang for their buck. And as you said, it's fixed price, fixed hours. So they're not generally going to go out of their way to make sure that you're going to get the best design result but they're also not designers and some of the colors I've seen people choose because their painter told them or you know the man down the road told them or I see forums on my local area where people are saying what color should I paint the exterior of my house or can you send me a photo of your your house looks like they don't understand the impact of the sun and light and People will even ask me when I sold my last house, I love the colour of your house, can I know the colour? And I'll say no because it's not going to look the same in your house. Um, it, it's just so many things and you, 
and it's also they're not looking at it in a total way. So as a designer, you're going to look at it in totality like we were looking at, talking about before, continuity, the flow, functionality. All these people in isolation, all these trades in isolation are not looking at that. All they're looking is at their little silo and that's what the design is there for, to bring all of that together so that it doesn't look like a dog's breakfast at the end. Yeah, and that's actually a really good point is that you do find these electricians are total specialists at what they do. If they've been in the industry a long time, then they'll have an ability, like a relatability between the others, but they are not like the designer who understands overall holistically how to put it all together I have seen some designers not really like you you can see an animosity that happens between say the tiler and the the designer for example and they'll say the tiler will be grumbling that the designer really has no idea about what's involved in getting tiles onto a wall or you know you see the same thing trades people criticizing architects for not really understanding how stuff needs to go together so that all exists that's all there but I think that when you're working with experienced designers who do know what is possible and have um, all also, you know, built a lot of stuff, seen a lot of stuff, seen a lot of their projects get built, then they do have the opportunity to work in a much more holistic way across your whole project. And you're not relying on like the builder is not going to want to call you to ask you, where do you want the toilet roll holder? Or do you want the tiles horizontally or vertically? Um, You know, some builders will, but if the builders at all under the pump, if the builders, you know, had a bad day, if they've got delays on tradespeople, or they, you know, they're just going to get stuff done because what they have is a contract with you to deliver your house on a certain price by a certain date. And if they don't do that, you're going to hit the roof and uh, there will be contract fallout for them. So that's their priority. And so them holding everything up to make sure that they can get hold of you, get you out to site to make a decision about where you want everything positioned um, may not always be their priority. So um, yeah, so it's really having that designer with you that can be in your corner and fill that expertise gap is really, um, is definitely the way to go. And I think too, I see a lot of people, they will not understand how much these trades need to work with each other and how much they overlap each other. So, you know, there was an example of a woman who, was installing a kitchen and it had all been, wasn't being coordinated by anybody. And so the electrician didn't install the range or the, sorry, the cabinet maker didn't make the cabinet so that there was a space for the range to be ducted externally. The electrician just saw that it was internal, had just had a recirculating uh, range hood and she wanted it to go outside and she shared a photograph and it was like, well, there's nowhere for that ducting to go. So it's that, and a designer would have, ensured that all of that was coordinated at a drawing stage so that there was no mistake about what people had to do and how that work had to be coordinated. And also um, on site, the designer is used to dealing with these sorts of trades and the lots of different personalities that come with them. And they also know uh, which trades do need to be talking to each other. And I look, I make a point of introducing these people and, you know, it's relationship management. So you need to be conscious of also, is your designer quite good with relationship management because that's key they need to be able to really mitigate some tricky things on site sometimes so it's the way they do that that will either get trades on on site or off site yeah if your designer's ego ridden and you've got a you've got a slight red flag about that when you meet but you think oh no they've got the style I really want and they've got a reputation that I think will be amazing but then they end up just putting everybody off site on site it just won't you'll have the builder not calling them they'll just call you so it'll be a nightmare yeah 
Is there anything else that you wanted to mention before we go in terms of mistakes? I think the key message out of this entire series is don't leave it all to the last minute. (laughs) Think about stuff early on. There's actually a lot more work up front than there is when the build starts. You should actually be in a position at the build where you can just sit back and go on holiday really. All the work is up front. Yeah, which is so um, really counter is. to what you see out there, it is. you know, isn't it? So, and it's for me, it's everybody is racing to get to the build. And yet, when you go into the build, having made all of your decisions, you know, everything is locked and loaded, building can just happen. And like you say, it's only then the, you know, um, the unexpected surprises that turn up that uh, that you have to manage. So, Francis, I cannot thank you enough. It has been, we've spent a lot of time together recording this. <laughs> it's been lovely to get to know you personally. I found a new friend, which is such a beautiful benefit from uh, tapping into expertise in the industry and sharing you with the UA community. And uh, I have links uh, for you and your business in all of the podcasts. And I just, um, I really encourage people to check out White Pebble Interiors to uh, get in touch with Francis if they want help on their interior design. And, uh, you know, you are one clever, clever, clever bunny. And I think that, uh, yeah, it's, it's very clear how passionate you are, that people get a beautiful, brilliant, durable result for their forever home and that it honors the type of life that they want to lead in it and you're operating from a place of experience and integrity and true passion for what you do and uh yeah i can't thank you enough for the gift that you've given in your wisdom and your experience to the ua community so thank you so much thank you so much Amelia. it's been an absolute delight and i'm so glad that we have been able to collaborate on this uh, series together it's just awesome so thank you for allowing me to be on the show I do hope that you enjoyed learning about the most common mistakes that many make when approaching their interior design or the things that they just forget about that can cause headaches and drama as their project progresses. Now, we have several more episodes coming up in the Interior Design Basics season, but this is my last one with Frances. And so I want to say a huge thank you to her as she so generously shared her advice and wisdom with the UA community. I've had listeners get in touch with me to say that they've personally contacted Frances for help in their own projects, and it's always great great for me to be able to bring you designers with experience and expertise so that you can see if they're a good fit for your project and needs. So huge thank you, Francis. Really appreciate all of the wisdom and advice and recommendations that you've made during season 11. Now, remember to head to the show notes to access the extra resources available for this episode. And you'll also find a link to learn more about Interior Design 101, the self-study online program that will help you gain clarity and confidence for the interior design of your future home. Inside Interior Design 101, Francis and I actually share some extra mistakes uh, in there that we see people make and, of course, our recommendations for what to do instead so that your project can go more smoothly and you can get the result that you want in your home's interior design. Now, in the next episode, I have a specialist in interior paint. I'm really excited to be bringing this guest to you. It's because it's someone with a huge amount of knowledge, experience and expertise who is going to share some brilliant advice in how to choose and specify your paint products. So don't go choosing your paint products until you listen to this episode. As always, huge gratitude to you. Thank you for tuning in and for letting me be your secret ally. Until next time.